Ja on rekord kiri. Thank you, Tzidi. Why should I thank you? You've thrown a lot of assegais. You must always thank me. No, 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 no. You, you, you are being unfair because what accountability, CD? You arrested me. I came to court. That's accountability. I came to court. And I think because of where the office has been, I need to be honest with myself. And that will come out of the outputs that I've made and I think I'm in a very fortunate but also a difficult position where I'm acting it is an opportunity for me to assess myself and say am I capable am I going to be able to handle this Hello, welcome to Polo Tricking with CD Madia my name is CD Madia that's right we are back season 2 episode 1 of a politics podcast brought to you by Eyewitness News. The last time I spoke to you, we're coming out of an ANC policy conference. Now the governing party is on a fast race, on a fast track towards its national conference. They've started to nominate names of leaders they want to see emerging in December. So I think that's going to be interesting. What we also had in this period is from a president, Jacob Zuma. I think he's 81 years old, ailing former President Jacob Zuma, putting his hand up saying he can be a chairperson. He can be the next chairperson of the ANC, the gravely ill former President Jacob Zuma, the same person who has corruption charges to answer to. And the reason why I mentioned corruption charges is because obviously that makes him eligible for step aside. But that gentleman wants to be nominated and to be considered. I'm not seeing the nominations going in his way. And then Dr. Nkosa Zanadlamini Zuma has also put a hand up to be president again. So you're having flashbacks of Nazareth that are playing themselves out if you are following the politics of our country. Will it be a CR17 versus NDZ versus Zedim Kize? That's kind of what the picture feels like at the moment. I don't believe this picture because this picture is being led by provincial executive committees. That's not how the ANC necessarily functions. That conference in December is one of branches. You must pay attention to what branches of the ANC want versus what we're being told provinces want. Because I have a sneaky feeling that those two things will not be aligned. And then the other thing that happened was that Joburg had a change of guard. Yes. So Executive Mayor Mpo Palazzi, I think that's what a handle says, is now being told to change and remove the Executive Mayor of Johannesburg from her title. Why? One day she was plucked out of power. I couldn't understand why the mayor, former mayor if you may, went on a social media campaign to fight for opposition when you can go to the political parties and council because those are the people who vote. Those are the people who vote. Those are the people who either support your bid to stay or we'll have you removed. When you go to social media and say, guys, call radio stations, write letters, petition this. It's a cabal of corruption, a cabal of criminals. You're talking to the wrong people. The message to the public is important about what your leadership represents. But when it comes down to it, they'll tell you politics is about numbers, yeah? And politics moves ever so quickly. I predict very soon we're going to see interesting happenings in Mokhali City, in Okurileni, where I live. And I think Tony might be a little bit more difficult to maneuver. So I think there is a realignment of the politics in the metros in Gauteng. What does that tell us? Hmm. 
that you must be weary of 2024. Oh, mind you, Nelson Mandela Bay has also had a change of God. So lots, lots, lots happens in this country. But for now, I'm not speaking about the party political space. In this episode, we'll speak to a Chapter 9 leader. Advocate Kaleka speaks to us about the pressure the office absorbs on a day-to-day basis. She speaks about that pala-pala inquiry that we are all waiting to hear more about. And she speaks about her love for Amapiano. Take a listen. We are speaking to the deputy public protector, or if you just want to call it, the acting public protector, Kolega Kaleka, who is joining us in studio at Prime Media Place in Santon. We're going to chat to her a little bit. She has released some reports, interesting reports, but that's not necessarily what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the work as a whole. If you're like me and in the political space, you get the calls about some of the cases that she's handling, and not because the cases must be handled, but because the cases serve for political expediency quite often. So that's always interesting how there's a weird intersection between her office and the politics that I cover on a day-to-day basis. So we're going to chat to her a little bit about that. But I also always want to know about women in leadership. I always find it interesting. I find it difficult sometimes. So I always want to know what goes in other women who are in powerful positions, leading positions, and what they make of it. Thank you so much for joining us, Advocate. Thank you, Tidi. Thank you for having me here in studio. Thank you. Let's just start with just the politicization. I mean, we can't avoid it. It is really what is following the office, mm-hmm. what follows you everywhere you go. And I'm sure in all the interviews you've conducted this week, the conversation around the politics has come up. What do you make of the fact that this office, this Chapter 9 institution that's to serve the people, is politicized at the level that it is? You know, I've come to terms with it, <laughs> even even before joining the institution. Mm. I said it, it's the nature of the job, but why? Because it is a constitutional institution that is established to strengthen constitutional democracy and it brings politicians to account. So, as much as it is not involved in politics, However, it oversees the politicians who are entrusted with governance in our country. So it is actually not an abnormally to find itself in this particular position. But this gives the office the, or the institution rather an opportunity to rise above the politics and be a true vanguard of our democracy and strengthen this democracy above uh, the politics that are brought before it. Where do you think it's failed in that? Because I would make it, I would actually say it's failed quite often, most recently, obviously, to rise above the politics, finding itself in that mud quite often. Why do you think that was happening where the office that's meant to be above the fray often found itself in this back and forth madness that's happening around the politics? You know, Sidi, I really don't want to get much into that of, of what the cause of what the cause is. But you know, what I rather want to concentrate. What I rather want to concentrate on is that, you know, the public protector was never meant to be this uh, stringent legal institution. It is an ombudsman, you know, and it's supposed to be more dealing um, on a mediation point of view with issues. And of course, uh, the broader mandate, particularly on EMEA, which deals with these cases of the politicians. But also, I don't think that it was ever foreseen that we would get to this stage of our democracy, you know, and, and the institution needs to deal with those kind of things. But what we are doing um, 
is really to ensure that we apply the law. Uh, and unfortunately, especially for your many kind of cases where we want the ordinary people to have access to justice through our office, which is what was intended by the constitution. It is a little bit harder because unfortunately we are now on the bar of the law, which is a high bar. And we need to lift and rise to that occasion as an office. Now, if you are at that level, Mm. where you make sure that your investigations are thorough, they're diligent, highest form of quality. You apply the law because the law is there to guide you that if if a situation is in this way, this is how you go about dealing with it. But not forgetting the constitution as a guiding principle because our constitution is saying we need to conduct our investigations independently, meaning I, as an acting public protector or a deputy public protector, I need to be independent. Investigations must be conducted fairly, without any favor, but without any fear. So which means that particularly ahead of an institution such as this must be courageous. And I think for me, it was foresight in the constitution that there will come a time when there's pressures from all sides. And for you to get out of this pressure, you need to be courageous. You need to do your work without fear. You need to be guided by the legal principles of our country where the, where the constitution is the supreme law. So for me, rather, it's moving forward, you know, uh, and not fearing and not being in favor and not being prejudicial to anyone. But look at the case less. Oh, it's the president's case. Therefore, you know, you need to to put um, more pressure on the investigators and all of that, you need to ensure that you conduct your work in line with the applicable prescripts because the institution does have applicable prescripts. And those prescripts are there to ensure fairness, non-prejudice, and to make sure that the cases have a particular flow. I'm sure a lot of people have asked you about whether or not you've got a relationship with the suspended public protector. I want to know a little bit about that and whether or not you've maybe had conversations with the other former public protector, with Tudima Donzela, as you try and navigate the space with the kind of pressure you're facing. Has somebody like that reached out to you to try and speak to you about what the job entails? Do you even appreciate such as a person? I do, definitely. I mean, uh, holding a position such as this, you can't take it for granted that uh, you know everything. And it might not necessarily be with those who have held the fourth in the public protector's office. But I think leadership generally, you know, uh, is characterized by a lot of challenges. And there's a particular way in which you navigate those challenges, even if um, they are not the same. And the kind of character with which you navigate um, those challenges. I mean, my relationship with Advocate Mkwebane is a collegial and a professional relationship, you know. Uh, we worked well together, we worked hand in hand uh, in running the institution. I've had a conversation once with Advocate Matuanzela. Um, I don't know if you are aware, we have our our simulcasts that run monthly. So after the simulcasts, uh, which the team had, had asked her to join and speak to the public i then called her because i wanted her i wanted to thank her you know um for having availed herself but um we just had a short conversation and one thing that she shared with me is that and it's very very critical it's that it's the chinese proverb that you know 
if you want to take an institution uh, far, you need to bring everybody together. You need to walk as a team. But if you want expediency and you want to go fast, you will definitely go alone because you need to go with the pace of the lowest person and lift that person to come together um, with the team. So that's the important lesson that she shared with me. And from the experience of the time that I've been at the public protector, I thought it was quite valuable. It's a very interesting uh, lesson to share with someone. The The issue of, I want to I wanna move away from it, but I know I cannot avoid it. I cannot avoid the Palapala investigation. I don't think it's taken long. I'm willing to now accept that a lot of the investigations actually take a while. Yes, that's when I'm going to get slammed and called a minion because that's <laughs> what I said. I'll take it. I take my L's. Um, it's not taken. It's not taking too long. But what? How much more time do you predict? Do you recognize? Do you think you still need in order to deal with that investigation? And. I know it's their rights to march. I've heard you say it's mm-hmm. their rights. We all recognize what the constitution says. But also, as colleague, as, as this is happening, as you must now step out of the office where you've got work to do to go receive a memorandum of demands that you know. There's no way you don't know what we know. When that march is happening, you know that's for political relevance. As that's happening, what is also going through your head? You know, um, let me start with the first question sure. uh, around the time frame of Palapal. No, uh, I, I don't want to make a commitment. And then after a while, they said, no, but you said it might take so long. You know? I'll be the first one to call open and say, okay, she said it should be done today. Why is it not done? Yeah, <laughs> You know, but we are handling Palapala with the utmost of priority. It's not for the ANC December conference. <laughs> not at all. That's not our business. Our business is to ensure that we handle cases within a reasonable time, to ensure accountability, to ensure that justice is not delayed. Justice takes place within a time, a particular time frame. But what concerns me most is it's the quality. Because as you said, I mean, we've had so many of our decisions overturned. Now, I can't ignore all those remarks and, and findings that the courts have made in saying, uh, th- there's this pressure on Palapala and therefore I need to conclude Palapala speedily, you know. I must ensure that Palapala follows due process. And what I've done in that is that I have uh, reinforced the investigation team. Instead of having one investigator, I've got two focused investigators, a chief investigator and a senior investigator. But the investigators don't report to me about Palapala. They report to their seniors. We've got an executive manager responsible for investigations branch. We've got the chief operations officer who is the overall head of investigations. But I have, in addition, put together a team from our legal services and research unit to assist this team as they move along, particularly to navigate uh, more intensely the legal issues um, that might arise. Now, firstly, this is to make sure that we don't miss anything. You know, we don't at the end of the investigation say, we need to go back. Now we move along with the process. We ensure that there's due diligence, there's quality assurance as they move along. 
I can't put a time frame at all at this stage because we've collected over seven arch lever files of information. Each time it comes, they go through it, assess what needs to be followed up on that information. And that's just the nature of an investigation. You can't say, no, I've got five witnesses to see and therefore it's going to take me two, three weeks for those five witnesses and I move along. It is not an easy investigation. It is complex investigation. I mean, it it involves intelligence information is you know there's information that comes from the former head of state security you know and so forth and so forth so one source leads to the other but i must reassure you it is receiving our utmost um, attention and as i say we have a multifaceted team that is working in that particular investigation not because it is particularly, there's an issue, but because we understand the concerns, the genuine concerns of South Africans, that this is a president that's involved. These are the issues that have been raised. There needs to be closure on both sides of the president as well as on the South Africans in, in terms of this investigation. Mm. No, I asked you also about the day where they're all out there in oh, all yes. their colors <laughs> and you must now leave the office to go receive a memorandum and you must reassure them that you're doing the work as colleague and not just as the advocate yes. or, or the acting public protector, as a human being, as a woman. Yes. When you have that that kind of pressure coming at you and they've got, I'm sure, loud hailers and Julia's got a very loud voice. So when all of that is happening to you... <laughs> As colleague, as you're saying to open, no, I will go and receive the memorandum. Please. What is also going through your head? I should think they were very kind. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like said, um, taking from my interview as deputy public protector, I think you know that there was a whole hullabaloo yes. about, about my political activism. Yes. I mean, I grew up in the student movement. I grew up in the youth movement. So I understand the nature of politics very well. You know, and and uh, I also understand the responsibilities that they have in terms of their constituencies. But I think what also gave me comfort when they said that they were marching, they were marching as leaders of the opposition, mainly in parliament. Now, there's a constitutional duty upon them also to assist and support the the institution. So I had in mind that at least they would have that in mind, that whatever they do, there's a constitutional obligation on them as official oppositions in parliament. So with all of that, I felt that let me accord them the respect as leaders of the opposition and not do what is a norm. I mean, during Advocate Matanzela's time, there used to be marches to the PPSA. And normally the CEO yes. would collect the memorandum. And when I asked open them, what's the precedence? And they were like, no, the CEO would collect the memorandum and, you know, it's okay. But um, having the background of politics and understanding that these are leaders of the opposition in parliament, I mean... They are basically my bosses. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I report to Parliament. So I had to accord them the respect, but also to show them that as an institution, we've got nothing to fear in this in this um, investigation. Mm. They will say what they have to say. Most of it, they, they're not necessarily even speaking to me. They're speaking to their constituency. And I need to respond to it in a manner that says... You've got your, but my constituency is the entire South Africans, you know, the entire citizens whom I have to show that they can have confidence in this institution. And 
By the way, South Africans have got different views. They don't necessarily share the views of those political parties and some are even apolitical. So I need to come up as an independent person, colleague, but who represent an institution that is an independent institution. So that was critical for me because at the same time, I don't want to have a bad relationship with the political parties. But however, I want to have what's the most difficult relationship. It's always said following a straight line or a guided line is the most difficult thing because whomever is on this side, on that side, are saying no, but there's an issue in this respect. But mine really is to do what is I thought was respectable at the time. But what I also thought was an obligation on my side. Remember, I'm acting. All sorts of things are taking place. There's an inquiry in parliament. There are those who are supporting or not supporting the inquiry. So how I come across um, to the country, not necessarily just to the politicians, is very important. You know, mm. I need to come across as somebody who cares. And, and I do care. I do care that um, they have all these perceptions. And which I really think, I mean, the demands for me is demands that we could not meet. They are not within the confines of the law. And tomorrow, if I do that, there'll be the same people again who said, no, but you were pressurized and, and this is what you do. Look where we are. You've messed up the investigation, you know. So I had to remain focused. As a woman who's leading an office like this, um, a young black woman, what is that like? Um, what are the... I don't want to call them in a turmoils, but surely um, imposter syndrome is an issue that a lot of us suffer from. I, I need politics here. I suffer from it every day. Um, how do you navigate that as a young woman in that space? Because oh, actually, I don't want to talk about how there are other women who are trying to create imp- an impression about who or what you are. Just mm. in your general journey as colleague, how do you navigate that? For me, it really is to stay focused on the course. What is my mandate here? What am I supposed to do? Of course, I am a human being. I mean, there are some things that, fortunately, I'm not active on any social media platform, so I don't get to read some of these things. You're sparing (laughs) yourself a lot. It keeps me sane and it keeps me focused. I don't have to be worrying that so-and-so said, because we are humans. We sometimes consume these things. But when they happen to get to me, I mean, the question I once asked myself was, I mean, we are in this mess as a country and look at how many men are involved in this mess and, mm. and who's insulted them like this. And, I feel very strongly you know, about that when it comes to men, yeah. So if I was a man, would I be having these kind of attacks against me? You know, would I be having um, this kind of attack on my capabilities? Because that's what it is. They might not say it, but basically that's what it is. So, yes, that ca- that does come to mind. But I think what is important for us as women leadership is, is that, yes, um, more is expected of us. You know, that's just the unfairness of society. They expect you to do miracles and so forth. But for us, it's a good opportunity. It's a good opportunity to show that we can turn things around. Things can function in a manner that they're supposed to be functioning as intended by the establishing legislations, which is not happening in our country. But most importantly, women can stand their ground and and we need to do that and prove that more and more because most of the time in women leadership, there's always a 
thought that there's a man in the background or there's a man on the side yeah. who's, who, who's calling the imagination that yes that's calling the shots and yeah. so forth so it's perceptions most of the times but it's perceptions that we need to navigate and manage and show that uh, you you are this person but how do you do that it's exactly with what advocate matonzela said to me is to move with your team your team needs to know how why and what if there's a decision taken they must know how we got to this decision as a team not as me you know so for me that's that's really how how not just now how i've navigated things ever since i've been in a leadership position i am winding down um what don't we understand about you what is your downtime like um People always ask journalists like, "Oh, what do you do outside of doing this thing and chasing politicians all day?" And people are always surprised <laughs> by the things that we get up to outside of the job. What do you do? What don't we know? Uh, I spend time with my friends. I spend time with my family. You know, uh, I go out if if I can. I mean, I must admit it's been a very tough past three months. <laughs> <laughs> I've hardly had the time to really go out jogging and all of that. Where do you go jogging? What kind of jog do you do? I want to know your vibe. Like when you say jogging, you use the word jogging. What's your vibe? No. Like what's your scene? No, my scene is is not that hectic. It's mostly a house scene either at my house or at a friend's place or even at my sister's place. You know, and the I, music you'll be listening to? Oh wow. <laughs> Now I'm into I'm a piano. <laughs> They really, really make me excited, and I've got a 19-year-old son who loves um, rap music, so I do a bit of that, and then he reminds me, "Mom, that doesn't look cool on you." So. <laughs> Those are my favorite genres: a little bit of hip hop, a little bit of piano. Yeah. Um, I'm, I am done. My last question to you is: the current public protector, suspended or not, her term of office does come to an end next year. They need to get into a round of trying to find a public protector. Have you been approached? Are you available to move from just being the deputy public protector or even acting into maybe being considered, putting your hand up to be considered as the next public protector for the country? I've not been approached. I mean, the the process is not yet on, but also I. I think once the process starts or towards the process for me I'll, I'll have to do an individual assessment and I think because of where the office has been I need to be honest with myself and that will come out of the outputs that I've made and I think I'm in a very fortunate but also a difficult position where I'm acting it is an opportunity for me to assess myself and say Am I capable? Am I going to be able to handle this? So those are the kind of questions that when the time comes I will have to ask myself and say based on this and but also get the vibe from my team and and I think that's the advantage whether the team feels I'm the kind of person they can move forward with should I be considered. But um yeah the time hasn't come when that time comes I think the, those are the kind of questions I'll ask myself first before I <laughs> I raise my hand. Can I just say you never sound more like a politician than ever in the entire conversation you sounded exactly like a politician right there with that answer. Thank you so much for your time the time has not come yet. Sounds familiar, né? We hear that all the time from the politician that we must wait. Wait, wait for the right time. Wait for nominations. She's saying the same thing. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank, thank you for you. chatting to us. That's the acting public protector, Kolega Kaleka. Got it right. Thank you so Wonderful. much for your time. Well <laughs> That was advocate Kolega Kaleka, acting public protector, speaking about 
what it's like to be running that office, that pala pala investigation, and her love for Ama Piano and her son's influence on rap. She won me at Ama Piano because that's my vibe. That's it from us. Until our next episode, this podcast was produced by Duduzile Masuku and Amukhelang Ramela. For Eyewitness News, my name is Tidi Madia.